Welcome to Off Screen. Let's get cinematic. We are keeping you as ever on the couch with a great selection of your seven-day guide to everything movies. Boom! Welcome. My name is Bex Perfect. I'm Van Connor, and how, of course, this is the most important question. How was your birthday, Miss Perfect? Oh, thanks, Van Connor. <laughs> it was lovely, thank you. Um, the hubby excelled himself on the present front. I went for a walk. That's about it. <laughs> that's you know what. That, as long as you got excelled on the present front, that's all that matters. <laughs> big time, big time. <laughs> since you had, since you had a happy day, then where should we I start did. this week? Okay, so let's start with um, not just a happy day, but a happiest season, which is available on premium video on demand as of. Yesterday, and it stars Kristen Stewart, Mackenzie Davis, Audrey Plaza, Daniel Levy, and many, many more as well.、Um, this is the story of a young woman who plans to propose to her girlfriend whilst at her family's annual Christmas holiday party, but then discovers that her girlfriend hasn't actually come out to her conservative parents. There's something that we should talk about. Do you remember when I came out to my parents? That's not entirely accurate. My perfect girl. As long as she's our supermom. Harper is our powerhouse, and Jane. I've asked you not to do that. No, I didn't listen. Abby, everything okay? Yeah. There's one tiny thing. Harper isn't out, and her parents don't know we're together. Abby. <laughs> So her parents believe their straight daughter brought home her lesbian friend. They also think that I'm straight. Have they ever met a lesbian? One criticism I'm going to level against this has nothing to do with the film, and it's very evident at the very end of that clip. Dan Levy has exactly one performance in his repertoire, and I say that having recently binged the first four seasons of.、Uh, That Creek program, I can't really say aloud. Can you not say it? Because it is the name. I don't. It is the name, but I don't feel comfortable with Ofcom saying it. You know what I mean?、Fine. It's on Netflix. It's a very popular comedy. It stars his father Eugene and, and Catherine O'Hara. You know the one. I think everyone's seen. It. I'm like the last guy in the universe that hasn't seen it. Love it. Um, But would you you would agree, wouldn't you? He is just playing that character again. Yeah, he is. However, not as extreme as what he plays as David Rose. But I no, think he's、no. he's a much smaller part in this, and he, you know he's playing the gay best friend in this as well. And you know he's playing to type, and he's perfectly cast for that reason. But for me, like you know, there's some real runaway performances. Like, I didn't. I, I, the, the cast list is brilliant in here because you've got、um, as well as Kristen Stewart and、um, Mackenzie Davis, and of course Dan Levy that we've just mentioned. You've got brilliant. People like Victor Garber and also Mary Steenburgen as well in this as the parents, which are well, what? It's almost ironic to me that Mary Steenburgen is the mum in this because I was watching this film thinking this is literally an inverted、uh, version of the proposal. Yeah. So obviously, whereas the proposal, it's we have to pretend we're a couple. Here, it's she's not out to the to the family, so they have to keep their relationship a secret.、Uh, so doing an inverse proposal and then having Mary Steenburgen be the mum as As well, just like I was just watching it, thinking like, why didn't you just get Craig T. Nelson to rock up in Victor Garber's role, and we could have called this one a day? Yeah. Also, I am going to just say this in praise of this movie. It finally gave me the thing I've always dreamed of. It gave me Aubrey Plaza and Alison Brie. On a screen at the same time. I say on the screen, on a screen that wasn't my laptop at the same <laughs> time. So God bless this movie.、Um, would you, you, would you agree with me when I basically say this is a perfectly fun, enjoyable Christmas rom-com, seasonal, festive, family, you know, frolicky,、uh, you know, romp? But the most remarkable thing about it really is its representation, rather than it as a film.、Um, yes, I would. I mean, I'd say it's less schmaltzy. 
the most Christmas films that we're seeing are less glossy than what we're seeing at the moment. And that might be down to the level of representation that we've got in this. But mm. there are some really good, like, crackers of a line, like from oh, Mary yeah. Steenburgen and, uh, uh, in particular. she And also Mary Holland, who plays Jane. I think it's actually about... It's about misfits within a family, right? And about trying to be a perfect family. And I think that's that's more of the heart of it rather than it being about two lesbians of one of which who hasn't quite come out yet. I think the, the stronger note um, as we go through the film becomes more apparent that, that everything is not quite as perfect as it seems in terms of appearances. And, and for me, I think that works well. Look, I'm with you. Like, it's a good sort of middle of the road fun comedy um doesn't sort of break the bank in terms of being anything revelationary uh revelatory but great cast great acting enjoyable fun worth your time this holiday season particularly if you want something a little bit different do you know what that i I don't think i could say it any better to be honest banks i will point out as well do you know who directed this uh, I'm, I'm very the, much. I I'm can not. see you searching. I will tell you off the top of your head because the '90s girl in you is going to love this. It's yeah, I know. Clea Duvall. Yeah. Clea Duvall directed this. Her second uh, feature after uh, the Intervention, which I remember reviewing in 2016. I don't remember an awful lot about the film. Um, and it's she's also, she's also co-written it with Mary Holland, who plays Jane, which might be why Mary Holland winds up with all these sort of like, all the best kooky bits. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also like that they kind of brilliant everyone kind of plays to types it kind of just nullifies my den levy complaint to be fair but like aubrey plaza kind of playing to type uh alison brie kind of playing to type if you like her in community playing the stiff bookish nerdish one who the do-gooder that's who she is here but it's just with a slightly nastier streak um the film does struggle i think as well though in as regards given what it's trying to pull off with its plot it's very very difficult to keep one specific one of these characters likable and the film for the longest time does struggle with that it also wimps out on what could have been quite a bold ending but you know what it's a christmas family comedy so i don't think we can we can't really pray for miracles on this one and also it's worth a watch i think yeah and also i'd say kristen stewart is less fidgety than she is in every other film in this fidgety that's a good word yeah (laughs) that's what i noticed she sort of stands her ground she feels most at home in this movie which i think it's so against type in terms of what she normally plays that it actually really works for her and you feel the emotion and the kind of letdown when mackenzie davis like hasn't come out to her family you kind of really feel that from her just as regards that criticism as well because that's not the first time i've heard like a kind of comment on kristen stewart as regards this film um i was told by a fellow critic this week we were talking i said oh i really i really i'm looking forward to reviewing happy season and i was told uh by uh, my friend oh no I, I don't i don't fancy the idea of uh, of kristen stewart doing a comedy i don't think she'll be able to pull it off and my immediate response was uh charlie's angels exists yes probably the best thing in it yeah so yeah um take from that what you will i never thought the day would come when i would ever say that Kristen stewart could uh, was actually hilarious and yet i've now been able to say it once in a year sadly not twice he doesn't really get but that's by design she's not intentionally given funny material no in this she no she's not a romantic character um so let's move on then to a very very different kind of film uh this is the second film it's a two sophomore directorial efforts in one week. Uh, This is on digital from today. This is the second film after Antiviral in 2012 from Brandon, son of David Cronenberg. It is Possessor 
starring Christopher Abbott, Andrea Riseborough, Jennifer Jason Lee, Tuppence Middleton, and none other than the man himself, Mr. Sean Bean, ladies and gentlemen. This is, I mean, to be honest with you, if I showed you this film and didn't tell you who directed it, and then asked you, you would tell me it was a David Cronenberg film. Mm. And just from the plot alone, you would assume this. The plot is, in the very near future, hitmen have a unique form of technology that allows them to hack and remote control human beings. And what they do when they're given an assignment to assassinate someone is they hack the patsy, the, the, the person they want to stitch up for the assassination, and basically then commit the murder, and that person goes down for it. And if they can take them down the process, more power to them. I would tell you the plot further than that, but do you know what? I'm just going to tell you the mark is Sean Bean. Here's the setup. But our deal is with Reed Pars, John's stepson. And what's the narrative? Um, well, imagine Colin Tate as the unstable lover who feels diminished by his new family. Ava has all the power in the relationship. It's emasculating. He starts using more behavior, becoming more and more erratic. Ultimately, he breaks, killing John, kills Ava, kills himself. With Ava out of the picture, Reed inherits everything. Become CEO, cry, cry, cry for the cameras. Clean tragedy, no one answered questions. Pay is significant. Money and shares. I have to say, the poster is terrifying. I just, <laughs> like, if you were to judge this based on its poster, you'd kind of go, if you're not a horror fan, you'd be like, nope, thanks very much. Not going to check this one out. Um, that's my immediate gut reaction. But how does it fare? I would absolutely, I mean, especially, I think you'd love this. I mean, you've seen far worse, but this is very extreme. Uh, I think you'd really enjoy this. Um, Put it this way, the apple has decidedly not fallen very far from the tree in the Cronenberg family. (laughs) Like I say, you you would look at this film and think, oh, wow, David Cronenberg's upped his game again. What's going on here? This is like the 80s again. His son is like his 80s self. Oh, wow. He's a spectacular director. He relies very heavily on a clever use of animatronics and practical effects, old school filmmaking techniques, lots of, of you know very specific lighting, very specific visuals. Everything is framed in a very particular way. It's a fun. I, I thought this was phenomenal. This is for my money one of the best films of 2020. I'm aware wow. that we don't have that many films in 2020, admittedly, but this is for me one of the standouts of the year. I think this is phenomenal. Great performance from Christopher Abbott as the Patsy, who's being. Con- controlled by Andrea Riseborough, who in turn puts in, and you've used this word, so I feel bad using it again, but I've already put it in reviews and things, a very sort of twitchy performance, a very twitchy, trembly performance from Andrea Riseborough. Um, I think this is phenomenal. It has got things I never expected to see in a movie. To be honest with you, this delivered what Tenet promised to for me. Oh, wow. In terms of, we're going to give you a science fiction tinned action thriller and we're going to show you things that you've never seen before that have to be seen in a cinema. This delivered that, Tenet didn't. Right. And this, for me, absolutely, I feel, I feel very secure in making that comparison. This is a better movie in delivering that pitch than Tenet could ever have dreamed to be. Also, you can actually hear this movie, which is, you know, already a <laughs> Yeah, that is, yeah, exactly. I cannot recommend highly enough, Bex. You absolutely have to watch this. Well, I think on that recommendation, that's that's my weekend sorted. So Possessor is available on digital as of today. Um, 
don't judge it by the poster. Listen to what Van has to say. Um, it, it does sound terrifying, but terrifyingly Cronenbergian and great. So, yeah, I'm excited to watch that. So those are your big new releases right now available on digital and video on demand. So if you want to check those out, then absolutely do. And we'll be back very shortly with more movies on TV. Welcome back to Off Screen, and well, I would say welcome back to the sofa, but if you've left your sofa in the last, was it three weeks, four weeks now, well, you're having a better life than I am. So, let's uh, let's talk movies on Freeview for the week, Miss Perfect, and uh, we've we, we've talked about a few of uh, our, our crop for this week before, but you know, like you have to somehow take them in different combinations, and of course, Saturday Night is a great sci-fi action thriller, but unlike Possessor, which is all the sci-fis in the setup, this is an out-and-out sci-fi on an alien world movie, and it's a sequel, rebootful, in one as well. It is Riddick, the third theatrical chapter. And I have to stress that word theatrical because there are other Riddick properties that are continuity. There's a video game, there's an animated movie, there's all sorts that sort of fits into uh, the Riddick canon. But this is the third movie they made out of the Riddick character after Pitch Black and the Chronicles of Riddick. And this is simply Riddick, 2013 uh, adventure starring uh, Vin Diesel, starring uh, Katie Sackhoff, Dave Bautista, and a whole wealth of sort of action action character actors who really tend to annoyingly get stuck on VOD a lot. This time Riddick is abandoned, left for dead after a coup following on from the events of the, uh, the previous movie in which he became an alien warlord by accident. He's therefore hunted by uh, a crop of bounty hunters, which includes Dave Batista. This is like a year before Guardians of the Galaxy, so you could still get Batista for cheap back then. And uh, Riddick and his space dog are, uh, you know, basically at the whim of these bounty hunters, but also at the whim of the intergalactic law as well, in the form of the elderly, sorry, elder younger brother, elder son, son, father, the relative of of the, the man who turned against him in the very, very first movie. So it does tie back into things as well. And of course, you've got to have that quintessential sequence in which Riddick is all strapped up in a darkened room, trading gravel-voiced insults with the people who've captured him. Demonstrated thusly, Grant any last wishes? I was referring to you. Not that the chains aren't a hot look. But no. I'm not gonna straddle you in front of all these guys. What if I killed all of them first? <laughs> Easy, boy. There's a lot more trank where that came from. I think when you think of Vin Diesel, there's like two or three films that really define who he is. You know, mm. you've got Triple X, you've got obviously Fast and the Fury. Fast and the Furious? No, am I wrong? Yeah, Fast, yeah, and, Fast Fury, and the Furious. And then you've got Riddick as well. So it is, um, you know, it's 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 kind of if you're a fan of Vin Diesel, then this is the movie that you have to be watching in order to. Well, I think this was the first, wasn't it? With of, of all, because he started out when he hit big in about pretty much the turn of the millennium. He came to prominence with three franchise launches back to back. And to be fair to him, they have all actually become franchises. Yeah. So the Pitch Black to start with, which was his indie one. There was Fast and Furious, which was a cheap, tidy action thriller. That really changed over the course of two decades. <laughs> didn't it? Uh, and Triple X, which he then talked his way out of for the sequel and then came back for the third one. Apparently he's coming back for the fourth one, if they can work out some some legal issues. Um, the other thing as well, from that clip, Katie Sackhoff, um, in the last two weeks, has garnered 
well, basically double the fan base she had before because she's now a very prominent part of the Star Wars universe yeah. as well, having played Bo-Katan in uh, The Mandalorian, which is uh, a character known previously only to legions of Clone Wars fans, which I haven't watched. Uh, my girlfriend's son tells me I'm not a real fan because of it. I will, however, show him with a vengeance. I will. Anyway, so uh, Riddick, absolutely worth checking out. Um, worth seeing just for like a relatively silent opening 25 minutes, which is just Vin Diesel and a space dog, <laughs> which is just endearing. And you wouldn't think it had any place in an action thriller sequel, but it absolutely does. And Vin Diesel is very, very good as this character. Yeah. They're always very well shot. David Toohey always comes back to make more of this. They still want to make more. Apparently, they've gotten a sequel to this written that they wanted to get done before. Before COVID, but never had the chance. Apparently, it's going to happen because I don't think Vin's uh, music career is going to be taken off anytime soon. Have you heard that thing? It is hilariously wow. bad. Wow. No, I hadn't, but I'm definitely going to go and have a look after this. (laughs) Oh, you got to. You got to. It's incredible. Wow. Okay. Well, listen, Riddick, guys, if you are a fan of Riddick and you want to revisit it, then it is available on Film 4, 11.30pm on Saturday. That is really kicking off your Saturday night for you. Something a little bit different for Sunday, though. I think you probably couldn't (laughs) get more different. Uh, ITV 2, 4.55pm, The Secret Life of Pets. I remember I remember enjoying this, um, but a lot of the good stuff was in the trailer, and I found the trailer absolutely hysterical. So um, if you haven't watched the trailer in a while, don't. Uh, just tune in and so you can actually enjoy this. So um, we've got um, Louis C.K. actually plays Max, who is a, a terrier who enjoys his nice life in a New York building until his owner adopts Duke, who is a giant and unruly dog. Is it Um, Cam? Cam from Modern Family, I want to say? Eric Stone. Yeah, it might be. I'm not sure who it is, but we'll we'll check that one out for you. But basically, they take a walk outside. They encounter a group of ferocious alley cats and they wind up in a truck that's bound for the pound. So, you know, this is, as you'd imagine, that fun animation, um, one for the fam, one for the adults as much as it is for the kids. And yeah, if you like furry things that talk, this one's for you. Katie brought home a new dog from the pound. She said he's my brother. I don't want a brother and I don't, I don't even have a bed now. I'm sleeping on the floor like a dog. Why would Katie do this to me? Because she's a dog person, Max. And Dog people do weird, inexplicable things, like they get dogs instead of cats. Okay, please don't start now, Chloe. That is not helping. Max, come on. I'm your friend. Okay, and as your friend, I got to be honest with you. I don't care about you or your problems. But if you don't do something about this guy and soon, your perfect little life with your dumb uh, human is going to be over. Forever. Forever? So that's why I was listening to that clip and I thought, I haven't heard that voice in ages. And then I remembered why. Yeah. Um, I do think the best character in uh, in The Secret Life of Pets is Gidget, played by Jenny Slate, who's the sort of Pomeranian, the white Pomeranian. Yes. I think yes. she's a brilliant comic character. If I have a criticism against The Secret Life of Pets, it's that it's really just a thinly guised reworking of the very first Toy Story. Mm. And that really the film, and that the film that's advertised in the trailer, as you point out, is something very, very different. That you then wind 
wind up getting with the sequel, which I think only came out, was it last year or the year before, Secret Life of Pets 2? Yeah, it did surprise me that a sequel, like that people loved it enough for there to be a sequel. Because when things like Zootropolis haven't yet got a sequel, I'm like, what is going on here? <laughs> you mean, you mean Tootropolis, Tootropolis, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, look, it's perfectly watchable. I think it's, you know, this is Very one... enjoyable, yeah. Yeah, and enjoyable. Certainly better than the second film. It's got a good cast in it alongside Louis C.K. Uh, you've got like Kevin Hart's in there, Jenny Slate, like you mentioned, Lake Bell is in this as well. Um, it's, it is funny. It is engaging to a point. I think if you weren't expecting too much, then this sits as a good like middle of the road animation that, you know, the kids will absolutely love and maybe you can bear to watch it yourself. There are a few laughs there ready for everyone. And thanks to Universal, this movie furnished my dog in uh, branded Lola dog uh, collar chains for uh, <laughs> all of her life. There so we go. thanks Universal for that. Uh, let's move on then to, I think this one was a Lionsgate movie on Monday. Ten past ten in the evening on Film 4. It is Patriot's Day, which was, I can't remember which number, this is because obviously Mark Wahlberg and director Peter Berg collaborated on a number of films together that included the likes of Lone Survivor, Deepwater Horizon, and this... I don't think this was the most recent. I think Deepwater Horizon came after this. Uh, but this was one of three films intended that year to be covering the Boston Marathon bombing. And I think it was around, was it wasn't ten years at that point, was it? No. Five years, maybe? Anyway, the, the, the other two, um, of, of the other two, one got scrapped and then incorporated into Stronger, starring Jake Gyllenhaal. And this was the, uh, the one that never really got uh, altered in any way. So this is Peter Berg's chronicle of the events that immediately followed the Boston Marathon bombing, starring Mark Wahlberg as the investigating officer. The three fatalities that we know of, one's a little child in the street in front of the forum. What are they doing? What? I said that's an eight-year-old kid under there. No, they can't move the body. we got to clear them out. Tell them to clear out there. Sorry, Sergeant. Could be clues in the blood splatter bomb residue on the boy's body. We can't risk moving him. Nothing moves. What's the matter with you guys? You're going to tell that boy's parents that their son's still lying on the street? Turn it down. All right, just, all right, all right. Billy, all right. We've got to decide who's right. running this. And we have to decide quickly. If it's terrorism, it's yours, right? Gentlemen, the moment we label this terrorism, everything changes. It's not about Boston anymore. It's not a local investigation. It's Wolf Blitzer, it's stock markets, it's politicians. Knee-jerk reactions, anti-Muslim backlash. And what if we're wrong? I mean, there's no take back. I've been through this before. If we don't call what we already know it is. And a cell is activated, and they hit Chicago or New York or Washington, what happens then? The accusations are going to come no matter what we do. When I went to watch this screening back in 2016, so this, so obviously the bombings happened in 2013. So three years later, this film comes out. So still relatively quick. Yeah, it was very quick. Um, so after the screening that I went to, they had someone from um, the police force in, in Boston who was there at the time come and do a Q&A afterwards and basically talk about how lifelike and realistic the, the portrayal is in this movie, which I think for me reaffirmed it as something that I was incredibly moved and disturbed by when watching yeah. it, but it gives it that level of clarity as well. So, you know, I'm not saying that this is anywhere near a documentary status, but in terms of like a fictional retelling, you're pretty damn close with this. I also think it would have been a travesty if Mark Wahlberg 
a Boston native had not been cast in this. <laughs> Mark Wahlberg is Boston, you know? Exactly. <laughs> but the thing is as well, like you say about that, that almost documentary-like style, but that is Peter Berg's sense of direction. When it came to light that Mark Wahlberg was re-teaming with Peter Berg to do a Boston Marathon film, you know, Boston Marathon bombing film, my immediate takeaway, my immediate thought there on the spot in that instant was, well, of course they are, because it's just the perfect marriage of like dream team filmmaker, yeah. actor and material right there. This is that that team came together years earlier, just destined to be making this movie. This was something, this kind of story that only that team could tell. And it's noticeable that, for instance, Stronger is nowhere near as strong a film as this, even yeah. though it doesn't cover the same aspects or elements of it. But it is a very, you know, cinema verite, very gritty, very mm. procedural look at just that chaos immediately. Well, it lacks, it, it, that lacks the heart that this has. And I mm. think this is the, the recount of, of this whole scenario and the way it plays out. It's, there's something much more emotive in this movie. You've got a great cast alongside it as well. So Kevin Bacon's in this. We've got John mm. Goodman as well um, the, the, the thing for me about this is that if you want to understand as closely as we can from a fictional film point of view what happened on that day and really feel like you're part of it as well this is the movie sadly I have to say is it, that is going to do that it's 2 hours 13 minutes long it will keep you gripped from start to finish it's a great performance from Mark Wahlberg especially around the time when he was doing like Daddy's Home and um, he was doing like Ted and stuff like that this takes him to a whole new direction and you have a whole new kind of um, appreciation for his work so that is available for you on Film 4 10.10pm 10 on Monday um, it is worth your time to watch and we'll be back very shortly as well with more movies worth your time on tv looking to stay in the loop with the latest movie news then say hello to the daily reel your bite-sized hit of the biggest happenings hirings firings release dates scandals and everything else going on behind the silver screen delivered to your ears every weekday morning in less time than you'll spend in the shower Subscribe to The Daily Reel on all major podcast platforms or ask Alexa to install The Daily Reel skill for your morning flash briefing. Make your morning cinematic with The Daily Reel. Welcome back to Off Screen. We are keeping you on your couch with movies on TV. The second half of your week is kicking off right now with Dumb and Dumber 2 on Channel 5 at 9pm on Tuesday. Now, I have to say, this is probably the sequel that everyone was like, oh my goodness, I cannot wait to see what's going to happen here. This is going to be so exciting. We've got Harry and Lloyd back on our screens mm -hmm. being as silly as ever. Did it live up to expectation? What did you think? Hell no. <laughs> Hell no. Hell We're no. only including this because there's naff all on on Tuesday nights. Fine. <laughs> I'm with you. 100% with you. It's the same movie again. This is the problem. I hate comic. Whenever you make a sequel to a road trip comedy, the f you lose me at the point that your sequel is then just another road trip comedy. And the Shrek movies, the first uh, three Shrek movies, commit this exact crime, which is two and three are just, again, we've got to find an excuse to get them to go on a journey again. You're like, well, okay, no, no, don't do this. You've already done that. You've got us hooked in. We like the characters now. Do something different. We want to see them do other things. We want to see what else they've got in the tank. And this, of course, sends them on a journey when I think it's Harry discovers that he has fathered a daughter. <laughs> 
with uh, a girl, a character who is mentioned in the first movie but never seen, uh, Frida, who is to be played here by Kathleen Turner, which might be the biggest coup this film pulls off because I, I love me some Kathleen Turner. I do. I think she's one of the all-time greats. She mm. has. I mean, she's the you know the voice of Jessica Rabbit. She's the original sexy voice. So I'm always happy to see Kathleen Turner. I think she's a great screen presence. Uh, the film, however, you know what? I think this one's more about the destination than the journey. You guys want to play He Who Smelt It? Huh? What's that? It's complicated. So pay attention. We put the windows up. First one who smells a fart gets a point. If you say who dealt it. Double points. But if you say you smelled a fart and nobody farted, like if we were just passing a slaughterhouse... False fart! You lose a point. And you can't smell your own farts either. What, are you guys kidding? No! No! I'm not going to sit around sniffing your guys' farts like some kind of truffle pig. Forget it. <laughs> okay, fine. Lloyd and I will play one-on-one. Yeah, head-to-head. How can you play one-on-one? If you smell a fart and you didn't do it, isn't it obvious the other guy did? I thought you said you never played before. This is a film that I think fans all the way through are just going, come on now, you can do it. You get can to get it. there. Yeah. You've got it in you, and it just doesn't ever really deliver. So, listen, if you're intrigued to see what a follow-up to the brilliant Dumb and Dumber is, then it is available for you on Channel 5, 9 o'clock on Tuesday. But let's hold that to one side. Maybe you want to hold out for Wednesday, because we've got... Um, We've got Jason Bourne, film four, nine o'clock. Now this is, as we discussed earlier, this is the Jeremy Renner version. Oh no, no, no! Oh, no this, this is this is the known. this is the Damon one. This is the Matt Damon this one. Sorry, Damon. my Damon. my. No, apology. the reason the reason that you've made that mistake is because I pointed out to you that over on ITV4 at the same time that yes. this is on is the Bourne Legacy starring Jeremy Renner. So you can either have the film that most people would just describe as being the cinematic equivalent of when Robert Patrick took over the X Files. <laughs> or you can have When Mulder Came Back on film four, which I, I think is the better answer. Yes. So Matt Damon and Jason Bourne. This is the one with Tommy Lee Jones oh, and yes. Alicia Vikander. And yeah. This was a good one. I liked this. It, I mean... Compa- I mean, within the series, it's not one of the best ones, but compared to most other films, it's still a good one. Yeah, and I really enjoy the Bourne movies. I think that it works really well, um, you know, just across the board, and it engages all sorts of different people into it, even if it does, you know, mix it up and bring in Jeremy Renner at some point along the way. But, um, you know, this is back to its best, as you've mentioned. So, um, you know, he's a CIA assassin suffering from dissociative amnesia and must figure out who he is. But this is the one where he's gone like full like Rambo three though, and he's yeah. doing like bot Kelly. He's like it's like uncaged cage fighting in the desert. Like Damon really bulked up for this. Yeah. But one of the motivations for bringing this movie back was that while they were off doing the Bourne Legacy without uh, Matt Damon, things like WikiLeaks were happening. So you have this movie, which is very specifically about things like WikiLeaks and how things like that seg so naturally into the world of Jason Bourne. Born, my name is Heather Lee. I'm not in charge here. I wasn't here when you went missing. I can see you're going through the old Treadstone files. Retracing your history. I know you're looking for something. Let me help you find it. Give me that phone. Yes, sir. Jason, this is Robert Dewey. Do you remember me? Jason, your dad was a patriot. 
He could see the threats that America was facing, and like you, he chose to serve his country out of a profound sense of duty. He would not want to see you harm the agency. You have to stop this. You have to stop it now. How are you going to tell Jason Bourne not to harm the agency after everything that agency's done to him over the course of three other movies? I think when you're Tommy Lee Jones, you can try and say anything, can't you? Um, but alongside um, Tommy Lee Jones, you did mention, obviously, Alicia Vikander's in this, but also, let's not forget as well, Vincent Cassell, Julia Stiles, and Riz Ahmed as well. Well, that's the thing, because Julia Stiles is, I think, the only returning character from the previous trilogy. She was uh, like a low-level uh, NSA or CIA uh, hacker in, in the, the original three. And I think in this movie, she comes back into play because she's the WikiLeaks-style uh, character. I, I, I thought this was good. I think it goes off the rails a bit in the third act, but it's it's still a lot of fun. It does ultimately become, you know what, it's Jason Bourne, we got to have a car chase. And then the whole third <laughs> act's like a car chase. I'm like, okay. So really, we're just, okay, we're doing that now. Okay, fair enough. But you know what? I had a good time with it. Yeah. I took my dad to see this. He loved it. Yeah, this is, it, it is good fun. You know, this is the thing. This is your real boys movie, if you want to say. Like, mm. I don't, I don't, I always like us girls that we will enjoy it as well. But, you know, when there's car chases and all that kind of stuff, it does fall into the realms of being a typical boy movie. So that is on film four, 9 p.m. on Wednesday. A very wise man once told me the difference between a boys movie and a girls movie is the boys movie has a car chase the girls movie has a reason for the car chase (laughs) yeah nice I like that I like that right moving on we're not going to give you one movie we're going to give you two movies for your Thursday night aren't we we are indeed and we talked about one of these quite recently which was Shaun of the Dead of course which is on ITV4 Thursday night at 9pm but straight afterwards at 5 past 11 you have Edgar Wright's follow-up to Shaun of the Dead reuniting most of the cast of Shaun of the Dead it's Hot Fuzz as well how's that for a slice of fried gold oh yes now this it's only missing that third and not so much loved um, <laughs> end of the Cornetto trilogy but for me I have to say these are, this is worth your, your time back to back because ITV4 have smashed it with this so yeah who yeah. doesn't love Shaun of the Dead you know Simon Pegg and Nick Frost you know that p- brilliant partnership you know if anyone's a big fan of them they're in on um, they're doing an Amazon series at the moment called Truth Seekers which is um, is good old fashioned fun in terms of their their sort of comedy prowess from yesteryear but well they actually uh, they set up their own distribution label would you be their own uh, production label uh, to make <clears throat> to make these projects including that one for themselves and it was our mutual friend Henry Fitzherbert who wrote their first film wow. uh, Slaughterhouse Rules yes uh, two years ago and that was that was the first film their production label put out and that was uh, former I think, it was, I think it was Daily Express former Daily Express film critic Henry Fitzherbert wrote that script and Brilliant. wrote uh, Born a King as his follow up uh, Shaun the Dead and Hot Fuzz two great movies like you say Nick Frost, Simon Pegg, uh, two slackers surviving the zombie apocalypse then becomes a follow-up movie in which effectively you've got one as an overzealous cop, one with one as an over-eager cop and they have to team up to solve the, uh, the mystery of a series of murders in a small town. Uh, but for clips, I think there's only one you can go to for either of these two movies and I'll let Simon Pegg take it away. Where's safe? Where's familiar? Where can I smoke? Take on 
go to Mum's, kill Phil, sorry, grab Liz, go to the Winchester, have a nice cold pint, and wait for all this to blow over. How's that for a slice of fried gold? Yeah, boy! that you stay in your homes, make no attempt to reach loved ones and avoid all physical contact with the assailants. Do you believe everything you hear on TV? Do you know what? When I was at university, my friends and I, we created a fictional pub called The Winchester and we convinced <laughs> a load of freshers uh, to say, like, have you seen the? Have you been to the Winchester? You know, this is this is amazing. Have you visited it? And they're all like, yeah, 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 totally. It's amazing. It's so cool. <laughs> it very much. We we had loads of photos of us saying thumbs up for the Winchester, and uh, loads of these, you know, wide-eyed, naive freshers, not knowing that we are very much taking the mick. Um, well, that's anyway. the thing. You've demonstrated so aptly right there, just how iconic, how instantly iconic, because it was an overnight thing. Mm. Shaun of the Dead kind of predates meme culture. I mean, although. It exists in you know a relatively early part of the internet era it predates meme culture and it's it's interesting that so much and that clip alone that clip we've just played, yeah there's three lines in that clip that are just part of the common lexicon now yeah you know yeah boy and now's that for a slice of fried gold and go to the winchester and wait for this all to blow as just, that's become a meme particularly this year because you see it banded around in relation to the coronavirus yeah. it's done as a meme it's such a memorable film i think that hot fuzz is a stronger film, although perhaps not as memorable. Yeah. But it still has iconic lines like you want to be a big fish in a small pond. You know, that kind of, we can't finish that one for Ofcom reasons again. <laughs> but uh, I'm getting very concerned about my language lately. I'm trying to tone it down. Uh, but I think that's a hell of a Thursday night roundup right there. Yeah, it really is. So there you go. Not one, but two great movies, all on ITV4 from 9 o'clock. And then we're going to round off your week on Friday, ITV4, 9 p.m. The World is Not Enough, as sung so brilliantly by Shirley Manson from uh, Garbage. Um, <laughs> this is Piers Brosnan back again in 1999 in an action-adventure as Bond, where he is entrusted with the responsibility of protecting the daughter of an oil tycoon. But on his mission, he learns even more about he learns about an even more dangerous plot. Victor Zocas, a.k.a. Renard, the anarchist. He was operating in Moscow in 1996, Pyongyang, North Korea before that, and he's been spotted in Afghanistan, Bosnia, Iraq, Iran, Beirut, and Cambodia. Hmm. All the romantic vacation spots. His only goal is chaos. After Robert came to me, I sent 009 to kill Reynard. Before he completed the mission, Electra escaped. A week later, our man caught up with a target. He put a bullet in his head. That bullet's still there. So Robert Carlyle famously landed the role of the villain Renard in this after the double header that was Train Spotting and then uh, the full Monty about a year later. His star was rising so high that they couldn't not put him in. And uh, he, he his, him playing a painless, you know, non-pain-feeling villain is a leftover trait from the henchmen in the previous movie. So they were recycling material because they didn't get, they wound up lopping it out of Tomorrow Never Dies and incorporating into this. Uh, very solid Bond movie that never gets the appreciation it deserves. It was a very cool 
very slick for the millennium because it was literally released like tie into the 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 you know the millennium paranoia that was coming about in late 1999. However, certain elements such as Denise Richards being cast as the nuclear physicist Christmas Jones wound up seeing it ridiculed and derided more than anything else. So I think it deserves more praise than it uh, than it got. I also think that Brosnan is at his absolute coolest in this movie. It does also contain my favorite ever exchange in a Bond movie, which is I have to get this back, or I have to get this nuclear this nuke back, or someone's gonna have my ass, to which Bond immediately replies, first things first. And we're back for one last ride, ride on the couch, as it were, with uh, your pickings for DVD, Blu-ray, and streaming for the week. And you know what? We got a pretty decent crop on uh, on DVD and Blu-ray from this coming Monday, the thirtieth. Um, one that I know you and I both appreciated, Bex, The Irishman. Yes, very much so. I mean, this is bringing back your stalwarts of gangster mob movies. Um, this is the film that I think you know everyone was waiting for. It didn't quite deliver as much. As it, we hoped it would at award season. It got loads of nominations, but no sort mm. of none of the glory at the end of it. But yeah, we're bringing back those incredible De Niro, Joe Pesci, you know, all of those incredible actors from yesteryear once again, probably for the last time ever, in a mob movie. Absolutely, and of course, the the trick here, the gimmick, and the this has been in development for a while. And the thing that had been holding it up was the uh, the, the technology they needed, you know, advanced computer effects to actually de-age uh, the actor, so that we could see, for instance, De Niro as a twenty-year-old. Not an entirely convincing twenty-year-old. He does look a bit like a video game version of himself, but uh, th- that's not why you're here. You're here to see the likes of De Niro and Pesci and Al Pacino and Harvey Keitel and all these great sort of stalwarts of the mob genre all on screen at the same time uh, of course welcoming people like Bobby Cannavale to the mix Stephen Graham as well and do you know what for me I mean because he did get nominated I believe I think he got nominated twice for best supporting actor for Joe Pesci mm. and Al Pacino but of course the standout star for me was Pacino yeah. as Jimmy Hoffa who we can hear in this clip squaring off with Stephen Graham and you're late what you're late and it was traffic. Yeah, it's traffic. <laughs> Wasn't it traffic? Yeah, give me traffic. <laughs> traffic. What do you what, what do you want from us? It was bumper to bumper. Yeah, yeah, no, no, it's it's bad, you know. Traffic. I never waited for anyone who was late more than ten minutes in my life. I'd say fifteen. Fifteen's right. No, ten. I don't think so. Ten's not enough. You have to take traffic into account. If that's that's what I'm doing. I'm taking traffic into account. That's why it's 10. I still say 15. No, 10. Fine, we, we disagree on that. Well, how oh. about 12 and a half minutes? There we go. Hey, 12 and a half. In the middle, right it's in the middle. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, more than 10 is saying something. Uh, yeah, I'm with you. Like, Pacino's performance is such, as Jimmy Hoffa is such a standout. This is the kind of movie that made you kind of go, right, I want to I wanna Google who these people were. Um, you know, so like, I was definitely looking up who Jimmy Hoffa was at the end of it and stuff like that. I, thought, I think the actors were second of that, because if you didn't know Al Pacino, you didn't like, why was he starring in really good movies for like 30, 40 years and then for, for two decades everything sucks? Yeah. Including this weird Adam Sandler movie he did in the middle for <laughs> some reason. Don't know. There was there was some the, 
this bit of his performance with, as Jimmy Hoffa, which was a bit sort of like with scent of the scent of a woman, like the ha kind of bit that he does. <laughs> That's there. just Gino. That's just yeah, I Gino. know, oh. I know, but it just it reminds me of that in particular. But you know, everyone is playing to type of what you expect them to be mm. in this movie, and that doesn't disappoint within itself. I think you know Robert De Niro is the solid lead as Frank, um, the Irishman. We've got Harvey Keitel as you as you mentioned there as um, Angelo Bruno as well, and of course Joe Pesci, who I think everyone, well, I in particular, was like, I've got to see Joe Pesci. Is he going to go mental? Is he going to be yeah. like that little ball of fire in this? Um, you know, that's what you really wanted to see from all of this. And for me, I think it's it's coming together with Scorsese in this movie is is it, it felt right. I don't think anyone, any other director could do this. It was the right move for them, mm. the right time, and I hate to say it, but probably the right send-off for them all as well. I, I think so. I, I think this is the, the kind of big, grand epic that, you know, the, the kind of grand epic that this this cast and this filmmaker may well not achieve again. I mean, there's there's every chance, given the ages of a lot of the people involved, that they may never get to reunite and attempt something like this again. So I think as a send-off, I mean, it's, don't get it wrong, it's epic in length yeah. as well. I, this goes on for... Three hours, like, isn't it? Just three and a half, three and a half like hours, yeah. But uh, I know a lot of people watch it in segments on Netflix, which it seems to be seems to have been designed for. But anyway, uh, moving on to uh, our, our final two DVDs and Blu-rays for the week. Uh, first, I mean, I've not seen either of these, to be honest, but uh, Train to Busan Peninsula, which is a sequel spin-off of the you know of Train to Busan from a few years ago. That was zombies on a train. This is the post-apocalypse. This is out in the world when the zombies have taken over. Now, I hadn't, didn't get to see this because it was meant to be released theatrically the week after our current lockdown began and then of course was scrapped and they said oh we're just going to go ahead with the DVD release and so of course I didn't get to review it. Um, We have also got available from Monday Audrey documentary chronicle of the life of well one of the most iconic actresses who ever lived. Stalwart of canvas artwork on many an elegant woman's bedroom walls or dressing room walls in particular. Dressing room walls seems to be a staple for the image of Audrey Hepburn, as you hear here. Audrey Hepburn was not like any other actor or actress out there. She just had magnetism. People loved her. I mean, there were wonderful female stars at the time, but there was nothing quite like her. What's what's the moment when, in some way, the mask slips? What are those other kind of like personal, more intimate moments? What do they look like? How do they feel? In Orgy's life, there was a lot of conflict, and yeah, she had a certain sort of sadness about her. If I've been successful, the audience, the people, see something that I don't see. Although we haven't caught this, I think this is going to be the kind of uh, the movie that anyone who is intrigued and interested in the life of the iconic Audrey Hepburn um, will will want to watch. It sounds very much like it might be a British documentary as well. There's a lot of British sound bites in there as well. But yeah, she was. You know, a lot of us us ladies will have grown up wishing we were Holly Golightly and you know <laughs> going on What's our very thing? own Roman holiday and stuff. So. Yeah. That's the thing, isn't it? Because there's 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 Audrey Hepburn and the Sophia Loren. Yeah. And they are, you know, when you think of the classic, you know, starlet, you think of the image of those two actresses, with Hepburn arguably edging out Loren in terms of who was the, the bigger name, who was the bigger star. And of course it is, as you point out, you know, Holly Go Lightly, it's that image, it's that breakfast at Tiffany's pose, yeah. isn't it? Elbow on the table kind of a moment. Yeah. And yeah, I mean what fitting chronicle. Absolutely. Over to 
streaming them, I think. And uh, one I know you enjoy oh. on Amazon Prime this Sunday. Life of Pi, Miss Perfect. Yeah, I was, but we, we've also got another one that's coming up in just a second that I also <laughs> very much enjoy. But yeah, Life of Pi, you know, the Ang Lee brilliant movie, CGI uh, masterpiece that it is, um, that tells um, the story of, uh, I suppose it's a young boy who's travels fictional travels with a tiger. Is it? He gets shipwrecked, he gets on, shipwrecked. A, on a ship on a on a sort of freighter that happens to contain live animals. <clears throat> Yeah. And find himself alone in the lifeboat with uh, uh, with a tiger who I think he I think he names Richard Parker. Yeah. The boy is named Pi, and the tiger is named Richard Parker. And it's how the two of them fare adrift at sea alone on only a lifeboat and some sort of flotsam and wreckage. I never thought a small piece of shade could bring me so much happiness. That a pile of tools, a bucket, a knife, a pencil might become my greatest treasures or that knowing Richard Parker was here might ever bring me peace. In times like these, I remember that he has as little experience of the real world as I do. We were both raised in a zoo by the same master. Now we've been orphaned, left to face our ultimate master together. Without Richard Parker, I would have died by now. My fear of him keeps me alert. Tending to his needs gives my life purpose. I remember when the casting call came out for this, um, they were trying to find an unknown, and it was yeah. just, you know, it was a huge, huge thing. And I thought that, I, I can't remember who the name is of the kid that got the role, but he, you know, you thought he might be catapulted. It like, immediately looked like he'd been catapulted yeah. into A-list status. We haven't really seen... I think he appeared in Homeland a couple of times after this. There's a few episodes there, but nothing sort of... No sort of Dev Patel sort of stratospheric ride. That's it, because that was the thing. At the time, I thought, oh, my God, we're finally going to... We're finally going to have, like, an alternate to Dev Patel as the go-to... The go-to British-accented Asian young man who just gets cast in every role of that, you know, of that exact description in every major production. And then it just didn't happen for him. No, it didn't, no. But do you know what it's such a solid film and a beautiful watch if you can catch us on the biggest tv that you have it's well worth your time um, a nice little turn from Rafe Spall in this as well it yeah. there's 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 all sorts of great things about this but most importantly it was at its time such a technological leap for any director to have created something as beautiful as this and, and so lifelike as well so Ang Lee did a fantastic job in that now speaking of fantastic jobs there is uh, also on Amazon Prime as of Tuesday we have oh my goodness so I'm going to say this and I wonder if you can pick up what it is Jamie Lee Curtis won I think Sexiest Woman of the Year award when this film came out because of that said dance that she does in a bedroom I mean, if you hadn't added the because of the dance bit, it could have been literally any movie because Jamie Lee Curtis wins <laughs> yeah. movie for me every year that she's in a movie. And I mean still. Because yeah. Jamie Lee Curtis just is crystallised in time. She remains, you know, just the goddess of pinups. But, uh, I know, and of course, you know, I'm a Halloween, I'm a diehard Halloween fan. Uh, we're, of course, talking about True Lies, though, which was, when it, when it was made, was the most expensive movie ever made. It took that crown from Terminator 2 and lost the crown to Titanic. You know what those three movies have in common? Is it a Mr. James Cameron? <laughs> it is, of course. 
director James Cameron and Arnold Schwarzenegger, who he'd start, who he'd uh, helmed in in you know a couple of movies before this first two Terminator movies, and of course True Lies. Now they've been trying to make a sequel to this for a long time, but of course after 9/11 it became somewhat more problematic. It stars uh, Schwarzenegger as Harry Tasker, a uh, spy, secret, you know, has a secret life away from his family, who think he's a computer salesman. In reality, he is espionage agent extraordinaire, trotting the globe, finding himself uh, embroiled in a scheme to set off a nuclear warhead in the United States. Of course, Jamie Lee Curtis is the wife who uncovers this along the way. Well worth a watch. It still holds up. It's still oh, yeah. a really damn yeah. good action thriller. I love that they try and disguise someone who looks like Arnie as a computer salesperson. Of course he's not a CIA agent. No, why would he? He's just pumped for, for all of those computers that he's selling. Right. This is the second time that Arnold Schwarzenegger starred in a movie in which he was supposed to play a spy with a secret other life, the other time being Total Recall. And it just becomes incredibly implausible that anyone... Yeah. That, oh, yeah, that's that, that muscle-bound Austrian guy over there. Yeah, total computer salesman. Um, over to Netflix, though, on Friday. Uh, this one I think we're going to be hearing a lot about in the next two or three months because I think the Oscars are in April this next year on and move back I think we're going to be hearing about this all the way up till after Easter then so it's Mank the first film by David Fincher since 2014's Gone Girl starring Gary Oldman and dealing with the writing and production of Citizen Kane by Orson Welles and his scripting team Uh, this has got a lot of hype around it is he I forget his full name Mank is an abbreviation of um, Herman J. Mankovich. Mankovich. Yes. And that is Gary Oldman in this film. Um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. I've not seen it as yet, but it's Fincher. I love a Fincher movie. I love the game, Fight Club, mm. Seven. I even love Alien 3. I'll make a convincing argument for Alien 3. But, it's it's uh, amazing I'm, that this is coming straight to Netflix. Like, Well, there was meant to be a limited theatrical two weeks ago. Right, I see. Yeah. Well, two weeks ahead. Two weeks ahead of its release. So two weeks ahead of it, it's supposed to be in theatres because that was how it would qualify mm. for Oscar. And I believe it has still had that limited theatrical release in the US. Okay. And in certain parts of the UK that were not under, I don't think that we're under lockdown. And uh, so it does still qualify. But of course, it's Netflix, like The Irishman, the bread and butter is going to be on stream. But we'll give you our thoughts on Mank next week when, and I'm not sure if we're going to get to cover this on not because might only be theatrical we might they might not be able to see it on link it's sony's monster hunter which is the return to the screen of mila jovovich and husband slash director paul ws anderson have you seen the trailer for this no i haven't this looks bonkers. It's just Mila Jovovich with a big gun and lots of Godzilla-sized kaiju in the desert. It looks bonkers. It looks really trashy. Has and she got fun. flaming I red hair? Has she got flaming red hair? Of course she's got flaming red hair. It's Jovovich and she's awake. Uh, also next week, something slightly more in our wheelhouse, I think, is uh, Godmothered. New movie on uh, Disney+, Plus, starring Gillian Bell, and it is about how, they, how the Academy trains up fairy godmothers and what? she's going to be the sort yeah she's going to be the sort of slacker the sort of 20 something slacker who has to train to be the fairy godmother this brilliant. sounds awesome yeah oh, oh. oh ne- next week sounds brilliant every single reason for you guys to stay tuned with us again next friday because of course we are keeping you on the couch even though we're going back into that tiered system next week doesn't necessarily mean you can go anywhere so stick with us this has been off screen we've been bringing you your seven day guide to everything movie 
Please, I've been Beck Perfect. I've been Van Connor, and we shall return.